Welcome to 501c3 BS, Deprogramming for Organizational Growth, sponsored by the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at the California State University Fullerton College of Business and Economics. This season, we are busting this 10 minutes at a time with a shortened 10-minute podcast. This is part three of three. Number eight, leadership is sacrifice. In my first book, I explained leadership with a cartoon I invented and had professionally drawn for me by Irish illustrator Robert Stack. It's a cartoon of a leader with a flashlight leading a group into a cave with a bear getting ready to eat them. A team of people are stuck in this cave. Their cell phones are all dead. They know the cave forks into two tunnels. One tunnel goes to the surface and freedom, the other tunnel to a bear's den. They only have one flashlight, and the person they elect to go first with the flashlight, that is the leader. That person is most likely to get eaten by the bear. The leader comes to the fork and says, hey, we're going to go this way. They end up at the bear's den, and the leader gets eaten. At the funeral, all the others will say, he was a terrible leader. He just went off half-cocked. However, in another scenario, the leader asks, hey, which way do you all want to go? And the team agrees on a direction. They still end up in the bear's den. The leader still gets eaten. But this time at the funeral, the team says he was a great leader. In both scenarios, you're probably going to get eaten sometimes by the bear if you're the leader. It's just about how you want to be remembered. Leadership is lonely. It's hard to be close friends with people that you can fire at any moment. Successes are a team's success, but failures, they're all yours. You take risks and pay the piper. The same qualities that made you outstanding when you win demonize you when you lose. A great leader knows this is the deal you make when you lead. In the same way, a great parent knows you can't be friends all the time with your kids. Sometimes you have to discipline them, and a good parent keeps that authority and distance. In both cases, parents and leaders, there is mutual respect. Number nine, authority comes from the people you L-E-A-D lead. Despite my five fellowships in leadership and my MBA, I learned most things about leadership in prison. In 1994, I took my first administrative leadership position managing a prison arts program. I was coming in from a 12-year career as a performing artist where I did not have to lead anybody but myself. I had no experience leading, supervising, or managing others. And now I would bring all that lack of knowledge and expertise to a high-security prison. I was in charge of five other artists, six inmate workers, and a few hundred inmate students. I didn't know what I was doing, but I did what they call in prison, frontin'. In other words, I pretended as if I knew what I was doing. I ordered people around, and I was a lousy boss and a worse leader. The fortunate thing for me was that wasn't uncommon in a place like prison. There were others much worse than me, and the inmates could see that I truly cared about them in the program. After I got to know my inmate workers, about three months in, one of my clerks walked into my office and closed the door. This can be a bit intimidating when a hardened gang member filled with tattoos walks into your office and closes the door behind him. We don't generally do closed doors in prison. He said, hey, Zoo, how long you been in prison? And I said, well, I've been a contract artist for about three years. He said, "Uh, how often did you come in? "Uh, Once a week for about a six week stint, I replied. He laughed. (laughs) That's not really being in prison now, is it? How long you been working here? I said, three months. That's not much time in here, is it? I've been here for over 20 years. 
We want your program, you know, our program, to work. But you got to let us help you. You have to stop telling us what to do in a system you don't know. And let us tell you how to make it work. You feel me? I did feel him. I understood. I had to stop fronting and start listening. I learned that active listening was crucial. They had much to teach me, not the other way around. I learned that a leader doesn't have to be an expert on everything and tell people what to do. A leader has to know each person's expertise on their team, then use that knowledge and experience to become informed. The people with the best vision should drive. And sometimes that isn't the designated driver. My inmate crew were knowledgeable and experienced about working in prison far more than I ever would be. Sometimes they had to lead me. A leader's boss hires them to lead usually without the consent of the people that they're leading. They give them the title of leader. However, the people you lead, they don't have to sign off on that title. They sign off on it by deciding if you're worthy of following. We have all seen bad bosses and how they are treated by those that they lead. These teams are fractured doing the minimum to get by. They're all working for number seven, a paycheck, not respect or a mission. Our job as leaders is to inspire people to want to work for us because our teams must consent to be led. Once I started listening, we built trust. I learned to do this acronym, LEAD. L is for listen, listen actively. E is for engage, engage your teams. A is for add value. Add value to your work by finding others' superpowers and organizing them along a shared vision. And the D is for develop relationships with your team. Not friendships, relationships, something deeper. You're on a mission together. Some of my team members working in prison would have died for me and proved it once or twice by protecting me from others. I inspired them because of my sense of mission and respect for them. They inspired me because of their sense of mission and respect for me. My prison teams have been among the best teams I've ever led. And our final truism about leadership number 10, change is slow. One of my best leadership teachers, Forrest Story, taught me a great lesson. He said, some people think that a new leader can come in and change things quickly because they are in charge. But most people hate change. Such change will be fought tooth and nail. There's only two ways to change things. You can fire everyone, wipe everything out like a hurricane and rebuild, and it takes a very long time. Or you can change things one small piece at a time, like evolution. And it takes a very long time. No matter what you do, it'll take a very long time to change. He was correct in most cases. People hate change thrust upon them. If you are coming in after a terrible leader or scandal, you can wipe everything out and rebuild, and you may need to do that, but it will take a very long time. There's two caveats to this lesson. There's two places where teams will allow you to change things quickly. The first is when you're a new leader. A new leader has about a 100-day honeymoon period where teams will indulge them and go along with changes even when they seem extreme or counterintuitive. But at the end of that time, if things are not flowing well and the teams have not been brought on board, catastrophe is just around the corner. It was this premise upon which I based my first book. And it's amazing how much you can do in 100 days with some vision and planning. The second caveat is when the idea to change does not come from the leader but from the team. This is where we get into the territory of Jedi mind tricks. A great leader learns how to make their ideas the team's ideas. Mastering this skill can make a leader into a cult figure. 
It is a true superpower. In order to master the skill, one has to let go of all ego and ownership of the idea. Once others own the idea, it will not belong to you anymore. A leader has to choose between owning an idea no one wants to do or giving up credit to the idea everyone wants to do. Because no one wants to do your idea. Everyone wants to do my idea. So how do you do this? Well, for an example, let's pick something we've all experienced in some form. When a new leader comes into a broken organization, many of the programs are not working or losing money. The people who invented those programs are invested in them. Their egos will not allow them to see the error of their ways, but they will have other excuses for the problems. No, the bad program's not failing because it's ill-conceived. No, it's due to the economy or the weather or some outside influence beyond our control. The new leader has two options. They can point out the flaws and set a course, which no one will follow that course because it's not the course that they set, but the course the leader sets. They will find all kinds of reasons it will not work. And when that leader leaves that organization, they'll say, see, I told you their ideas were no good and they wouldn't work. The second option is the Jedi mind trick. The new leader can play facilitator. This role takes more time, but gets the job done. Let's have a stakeholders retreat, the leader says, and find a way through these issues. The leader puts together a report with the help of all involved. The report outlines the successes and the failures in neutral terms without assigning any blame. The report includes an evaluation that polls all the stakeholders and gets their ideas on what worked, what did not work, and how they should proceed. The leader knows what is wrong and how to fix it. They are an outsider with no horse in this race. They can see the issues. So can every other stakeholder whose ego is not wrapped up in the failures. Evaluation questions are written in a way that helps propel the ideas of the leader. For example, if the program failed because of a lack of marketing the program to the intended constituents, a question might be, how can our programs be improved? And one of the first choices may be better marketing to the intended clients. The leader can discuss this issue with the stakeholders. Now, when they come to the stakeholders retreat, they have a report showing what they, not the leader, want. And when marketing comes up on the whiteboard as an issue, they, not the leader, will solve it. The leader may want to partner with another agency that serves these clients to help with the marketing issue. But this will not be said out loud. Instead, the leader may ask while talking about the marketing bullet point on the whiteboard in front of everyone. Would it be worth considering a partnership with an agency that handles our clients? Do we know any? Board member Tom will ask. What about X agency? Another stakeholder, Gladys, will say, yes, that's a good idea. X agency has a lot of our kids, Tom. That's a great idea. I bet they would love to partner with us. The leader replies, Tom and Gladys, that is fantastic. Do we know anyone who knows their CEO? Joan pipes up, I know her. By the end of the day, the issue's been resolved. Tom, Gladys, and Joan may have been the same people who caused the initial problem, but now they are the saviors who are fixing it, and it was all their idea. Later in the year, they may get an award for their leadership. Does it bother the leader that they will not get credit for their own idea, which they gave away to credit others? No, because the goal has been achieved, and the team is motivated to do it. Is this a consensus building exercise or a devious trick? Yes, it is a bit tricky, 
but it isn't devious at all. The leader in the evaluation held up a mirror to the organization and let them see their own reflections so they could clean themselves up. The leader asked the right questions so they could come to the right decisions. And that, my friends, is leading. Once we've created a vision and a direction and inspired people, then we can talk about management, taking care of all the things, the programs, the facilities, the money. Great management comes from having a handle on our budgets and our inventory. If one has a great plan that is regularly used and updated with a reliable budget and realistic deadlines, management is easily handled by the team. Supervision is about taking care of people, our staff, our volunteers, our funders, our board. Most people think of this as leadership. If you are going to be an inspirational leader, it certainly helps to be a good supervisor too. Supervision comes down to creating the best team, incentivizing and building loyalty, and troubleshooting those teams when there are problems. We can talk about management and supervision another time. Or better yet, come be a Gianeshi Fellow for Social Impact Leadership. Take our course. We'd love to have you. Thank you to the Gene Eschy Center for Nonprofit Research, California State University, Fullerton, and the College of Business and Economics for supporting our podcast. Our supporters include the Orange County Community Foundation, Southern California Gas Company, and you, our listeners. Thanks for the music provided to us by the California-based Brazilian Coro Ensemble, Grupo Falso Baiano. Have a great week, free from BS. Music